Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Steve Chapman. Good morning. Well, thank you so much uh, for being here uh, at the River Community Church. If you're watching us uh, online, we thank you uh, for tuning in and being with us this morning. Uh, My name is Steve Chapman, and I'm not the family pastor at the River Community Church. I was for a long time, but uh, I just finished up my first week uh, with Rising Above Ministries, and that was a great time. Had a wonderful, yeah, that's all right. That's great. Uh, Yeah. So uh, great, uh, great ministry we've been a part of for many, many years, and so uh, very excited to now be a part of that full time. But I'm extremely honored um, and excited to be with you this morning, and uh, I always love uh, being a part and getting to come up here and share God's Word and uh, truth with you this morning. So uh, we're in this summer series called uh, Prophets and Kings, and uh, Brian Vaughn just did a, a tremendous job the first couple of weeks of sort of setting this up and explaining the kings and kingdoms and all that stuff, and I appreciate uh, him so much. And Buddy uh, followed that up the last couple of weeks uh, with just a wonderful word, and so uh, I'm honored to follow in those footsteps this morning. I'll be with you for the next couple of weeks, three weeks actually, and then uh, TJ Overstreet's going to wrap this thing up, and uh, I believe Pastor Steve uh, will be back from his sabbatical in August. But what do I know? I don't work here anymore, okay? So <clears throat> anyway, hey, uh, you know, it is summertime, and uh, I always think about, uh, for me, just growing up and even as an adult, summertime, I think about vacations. Let me ask you a question. Raise your hand if you have already been on vacation this summer. You've already got your vacation out of the way. Raise your hand good and high. It's like, I don't understand the reluctance. It's the same way last year. Everybody's kind of it's like, it's okay to go on vacation. Raise it up, all right? Raise it all right, how many of you uh, have a vacation plan before school starts back? You still got one plan. All right, several of you, that's good. Well, uh, for a lot of people, especially, I guess, kids, but a lot of adults too, well, when you think about summer vacation, there's, there's always sort of, like where I grew up, there was always kind of this, like the ultimate summer vacation was if you got to take a trip down south uh, to this magical place, Disney World, right? Anybody, raise, raise your hand if you've been to Disney World. Raise your hand. We had a lot in the first service. Wow, there's a lot of you have been to Disney World. You know, you get to go down there, and of course, this is the, the iconic souvenir from Disney World. You got the big mouth. Now, I never and have never been to Disney World, but I did have a set, not these aren't them, but I did have a set of mouse ears because some of you will remember this, this shows your age. I was an official member of the Mickey Mouse Club. You, you, got, you got ears, you got a little, little badge to wear, and you tuned in, you know, I don't know if it came on every afternoon or one day of the week and watched the Mickey Mouse Club, and it was great fun. But, but for me as a kid, this was not the, the iconic souvenir from family vacations. We didn't go uh, down south quite that far, but for me, the, the dream, the idea thing, the thing that I always looked forward to, my grand souvenir was cowboy hat. Because my family, 
uh, went to this magical place uh, just east of here uh, many years ago, back in the 70s. As a matter of fact, I found a commercial. And the, let me just say, the quality of this commercial is horrific. I doubt you'll even understand what they're saying. But the video, you get the gist of this wonderful, wonderful place. So we found that we found the commercial from this place where I used to go as a kid. I loved it, and I always hope to get a nice little cowboy hat to, to come back. So let's, can we play that? Let's take a look at this, at this uh, commercial right here. Junction. Oh, yeah. Ten, ten girls in the lady gate. Lock blue mouth, take your breath away. Klondike Kitty on a mountain rock. People say they never had so much fun. Breaking just to get mighty bold. The James boys want that Klondike gold. Marshall, go to deputize you and me. Caught the outlaws on the train. Now we're gonna take them off to jail. Picnic tables, mountains too. At Gold Rush Junction, there's more to do. So that magical place in my childhood was known as Gold Rush Junction, also known as the most politically incorrect place on the earth. <clears throat> Put your kids on the train, give them a badge and a gun, and uh, <clears throat> shoot anybody and everybody, right? <laughs> Those weren't real guns. <laughs> Those were toy guns. Uh, <clears throat> But we did get, we did, the kids got off the train. They stopped, they rounded up the bad guys. We'd get off the train and had our guns and we'd arrest them and take them off to Gold Rush Junction. It was a little place uh, up in Pigeon Forge and that's where my family would go a lot of times and I loved it. I mean, they had, really had nothing. I mean, the train ride was the big thing. There was a log flume ride. There was uh, a little souvenir shop, maybe some kitty rides. That's about it. Uh, but it was a great place. Now, most of it, has anybody, anybody in this room ever heard of Gold Rush Junction? Raise your hand if you've ever heard, just, just a couple of you, all right. So most of you today know Gold Rush Junction as Dollywood. That's right, before it was Dollywood, actually before it was Dollywood, it was Silver Dollar City, but before that it was called Gold Rush Junction, and a little theme park up there in Pigeon Forge, and we, uh, as a kid, I loved it, and always hoped to, that little souvenir shop would get those little cowboy hats, and, and uh, always wanted one of those little rifles they had on the train, but uh, it was a great place. Theme parks are fantastic. You know, I mean, that's what they're designed for. They're designed to be magical places. You know, Disney is the magical kingdom. I mean, it's designed to be a place that you take your family and people of all ages come and have a great time. I mean, the theme parks, there's, there's laughter, there's the, the sounds of the rides and the screams of, of riding those, those adventurous rides. And you can smell the funnel cakes and the cotton candy and the popcorn and the hot dogs and hamburgers and all that kind of stuff. And that's just all part of it. And it's this wonderful place. There was, anybody from Kansas? Anybody here from Kansas? There was a theme park uh, years ago in Kansas. It was one of the largest theme parks in central Kansas. And it had the ultimate theme park name. I mean, it had the best name for a theme park. I think we have a picture of the sign. It was called Joyland. Who wouldn't want to go to Joyland? I mean, that just sounds like a blast. And it was a wonderful theme park. But then 
in the early 2000s, there was an incident happened there, there was, and they had to shut down for about a year, and then it just kind of was a snowball. They began to have some financial troubles and, and things, and it just sort of went down from there. People started breaking in. There was vandalism. And so here's what Joyland looks like today. We have a few pictures here. This is Joyland today. Not a lot of joy happening uh, right there, except maybe for the rats. Uh, yeah, broken down rides, graffiti. Another, I think we got another one here. Joyland, I don't think so. That's, that doesn't look like a whole lot of fun. And so today, Joyland is officially closed. And if you were to go there, if you were to walk through those grounds, you would look around and say, wow, this is pathetic. This is anything but joy. You would not f- feel joy in being there. So you see, theme parks have a very specific purpose to bring joy, to bring laughter, to bring enjoyment, to bring thrills and adventures. That's really Dollywood's mission is to create memories that people want to come back. So when you're walking out at the end of the day, you're exhausted, but you've got the souvenirs and, and the kids are happy, your bellies are full, and your, your mind is filled with wonderful memories. And that's the intended purpose. So now what does that have to do with Old Testament and this series, Kings and Prophets. Well, this morning, I wanna talk to you about three kings. We read about one of them. If you've been reading with us through the Bible this year, we read about one of these kings in our, in our, in our readings this past week. The other two we read about uh, prior weeks and earlier on. But I wanna talk to you about three kings this morning and, and kind of see what this has to do. Keep in mind, theme parks have a very specific intended purpose of what they're to do. They're to bring joy and laughter and thrills and fun and adventure to families. So I want to talk about three kings this morning. The first king I want want us to look at is King Solomon. Now we've already read about King Solomon, his story. King Solomon was the son of David. He was actually the third king of Israel. He was the last king to rule over the United Kingdom. As Brian laid out after that, the kingdom was divided, northern, southern kingdoms, Judah, Israel. But Solomon was the last king to reign over the the United Kingdom, the entire kingdom of Israel. But Solomon had a very important role to play in this whole story of God. David, who was an incredible worshiper of God, in that day they had the tabernacle, this portable mobile thing they would set up to to be the place where God would be worshiped, the sacrifices would be made. But David in his heart and his love for God wanted to build God a permanent temple, a permanent place that that would be set up to be the place that God was worshiped, that God would be honored, that sacrifices would be made, that God would be glorified among his people. But God told David, you will not be the king to build the temple. It will actually be your son, Solomon. And so Solomon had that honor, had that distinction, had that challenge to build the, the temple for God. And that's exactly what he did. So in 2 Chronicles this morning, and we'll put these scriptures uh, on the screen uh, for you as well, if you want to look there. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 we read about Solomon and this responsibility to build the temple. Look what it says here about Solomon. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11, says this. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Now verse 12 says this. Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. And if you jump down to verse 15 and 16, he says, my, this is God speaking, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy. 
a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. Solomon builds this temple, just as his father David wanted to do, built this permanent place where God's name would be honored, where God would be worshiped, celebrated, glorified throughout the nation, throughout the world. And he builds this place, and God says, that's exactly what I'm gonna do, Solomon. I've chosen this temple to be that place. So that temple had a very specific purpose. It was to be the place where the people of God would gather, they would bring their sacrifices, they would bring their worship, bring their praise, they would honor God and he would be glorified in that place. They would bring their their annual celebrations and festivals would take place around and throughout the temple. It would be this wonderful place, very important place for the people of God. As Solomon did this, he basically then from that point on, Every king of Israel, every king of God's people basically had three primary responsibilities as the king. And here's what they were. As the king of God's people, their three primary responsibilities were one, to secure the kingdom, to make sure that God's people and their land was protected, provided for. Sometimes that meant being on the defensive, defending against attack. Sometimes it meant going on the offensive and driving enemies out. But they were to secure the land for God's people. The second responsibility was to secure the throne. I mean, they were to make sure that there was a successor of God's people when they passed on. And that totally meant they were to marry and, 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 and have a son, and that son, the firstborn son, would then succeed them as king of Israel. And the third responsibility was to secure God's presence. And that was done by making sure that the temple was there, was provided for, was taken care of, that, the, 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 that the, the, the Levites and the priests were in their place, understood their roles, and that the temple was a place where God's presence would be pleased to dwell among his people. The, the kings were to be taught and instructed by the priests and the Levites in the law of the Lord and the rituals and the rules so that they understood what was supposed to happen. They understood the purpose of the temple. And that was the three primary responsibilities of the kings in the Old Testament. Secure the land, secure the throne, and secure the presence of God. And that meant to make sure the temple was doing what it was intended to do among God's people. That's the first king, Solomon. Now we're gonna jump ahead many, many years, several kings, and we're gonna come to the second king I want you to see this morning. And you read about him probably the week before last. This is King Ahaz. Now the kingdoms are divided now. There's a northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And Ahaz is king in Judah. And listen to what it says about this king. We read about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Okay, we're gonna do a little little history here, then we're gonna make some points. In 2 Chronicles chapter 28, Verse one is really all we need to read to understand about this guy. But I want to encourage you to read the entire chapter 28. There's only one chapter devoted to him. Second Chronicles 28 verse one says this. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Now look at this, this says it. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord as his ancestor David had done. So Ahaz was a kid with the king. And remember, what's the responsibility? Three things. Secure the land, secure the throne, and secure the temple, secure the presence of God. If you read in, verse, in 2 Chronicles 28 about Ahaz, Ahaz was perhaps, he wasn't the only king that didn't follow, but he was probably one of the worst. This guy destroyed the temple. 
This guy would go in, he made alliances with foreign kings. He actually would go into the temple and he would steal the consecrated sacred items that were intended for the, to be used in the service and the worship of the Lord. And he took those things out and he sold them to these kings, hoping to gain their favor, which it never worked because they, they, they took the seven and turned on him anyway. He, would, he set up idols. He had gone and visited a foreign kingdom and he saw their altars to their pagan gods. He came back and he had those things erected in the temple to worship these false gods. The place that its sole purpose was to be the place where God was worshiped. He set up false idols. As a matter of fact, it got to the point that it just, it just began to crumble and the kingdom fell apart and they were attacked and it was horrible. It got to the point that Ahaz actually shut the doors of the temple. In other words, his idea was, I'm not going to follow and worship God, and therefore nobody will. And he closed the temple. This place that was designed to be a glorious place where God would be worshipped, where God's presence would dwell among his people, the doors were shut. If there was a sign outside, if there was a marquee, it would have said, closed for business. Those that passed by at that time, no doubt, looked at the temple and thought, wow, that looks horrible much like Joyland looks today, nothing but joy. It was horrible. In verse five of chapter 28, it says this about Ahaz. It says, because of all this, the Lord his God allowed the king of Aram to defeat Ahaz and to exile large numbers of his people to Damascus. The armies of the king of Israel also defeated Ahaz and inflicted many casualties on his army. Secure the, secure the land, secure the throne, secure the, the presence of God. He did none of that. He didn't secure the land. <clears throat> they, were, <clears throat> they were invaded many times. People were taken off as prisoners. He really didn't secure the throne. The Bible says he was such a, a pagan leader, he even sacrificed his own children. Amazingly, by the sovereignty of God, Ahaz's son survived, and we'll see about him. He's our third king this morning. But Ahaz was a horrible king. He did not take his responsibilities, three things. He did not do it. He failed miserably. He neglected that responsibility. And as a result, the kingdom suffered. The presence of God was not welcome. The presence of God was not flourishing. They're in the temple throughout the people and disaster came upon them. And Ahaz is remembered as perhaps one of the worst kings ever. That's our second king this morning. But I want, to, I want you to see our, our third and final king this morning. This is the one you read about this past week in, in, the, in the readings, if you've been reading with us. And we read about the third king in 2 Chronicles 29, the next chapter. 2 Chronicles 29, verse 1 says this. It says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became the king of Judah. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Verse two, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. In the very first month, verse three, in the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. Now, here's what I think is really, a little side note that I think is really, really fascinating about the, the monarchy, the king's of Israel. It says there about Hezekiah, and, and you get his introduction, like you see if you go back and read through Chronicles, you kind of how they introduce all the kings. It says Hezekiah, you know, was, was this old when he began to reign, and he reigned for this many years. <clears throat> Here's what's interesting. 
You notice that when it talks about Hezekiah, it refers to who his mother was. Now, we know his dad was. His dad was Ahaz, a terrible king, but it tells us who his mother was. Here's what's interesting. I went back and read through these things, and here's what's interesting. Every king that the Bible says did what was right and pleasing in the eyes of the Lord, it tells who his mother was. Every king that it says did evil in the eyes of the Lord, the mother is not mentioned except for one. Only one of the kings who it says did evil, his mother is mentioned. And the only thing it says about her is that she led him to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. So a little, little important thing here. These kings were busy. These kings had lots of responsibility, lots of things. It was crucial in the lives of these young men who their mama was. There apparently were some women in the nation of Israel, some moms in the nation of Israel that recognized the seriousness of training up their boys to be the next king. Because everyone that it says did, did right and pleasing, it mentions, it tells you who his mother was. And I think that is simply a nod of honor to those women. Who, who the guys get all the, the play there in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, they, but it's these moms that ultimately made such an impact on this. And certainly with Hezekiah, his dad was horrible. His dad left him a horrible example of how to be king, but his mother apparently poured into him and said, this is what you need to be about. And so when his time came, Hezekiah starts out in the very first month, he says, we're gonna reopen this place. It'd be like some millionaire walking, moving to Kansas and going into Joyland and saying, we're gonna reopen this place. We're gonna restore it to the joy it once brought to families. We're gonna restore the purpose of this place. It's no longer gonna be a desolate wasteland. Hezekiah comes to the temple and says, this will not do. My responsibility as king of Israel is to, is to secure the land, secure the throne, and secure the presence of God. And that begins with this temple that has been destroyed, desecrated, left for ruin, and shut down. So he says he opened it up. As you read through chapter 29, Hezekiah, he instructs the Levites and the priests to begin going in there, clean this place up. Clean this mess. They carried off the detestable idols that, that Ahaz had brought in there, carried them off, destroyed those. They even found the items that he had sold. They found those, brought them back to the temple. Cleaned this thing up, purified this thing, came to Hezekiah, said, hey, everything has been restored, everything is ready. Hezekiah gathered the priests and said, hey, you know what your responsibilities are. Here's what we're supposed to do. So they begin offering sacrifices and singing praise and worship to God, restoring this temple to its intended purpose, to be a place where God is honored, God is glorified, God is worshiped. And that's exactly what Hezekiah did. And in chapter 30, Hezekiah says, you know what? It has been way too long under my father's rule that we have celebrated the Passover as the people of God. So Hezekiah says, hey, the temple has been restored. God is being glorified. The, the sacrifices are set up. Everything is ready. He says, we are going to celebrate the Passover together and not just the kingdom of Judah. The Bible says Hezekiah sent messengers to the kingdom of Israel. Remember, they're divided at this time. He sent messengers to the kingdom and the people of Israel and said, please come join us as we celebrate the Passover, as we remember the deliverance of our God, of our ancestors from the nation of Egypt. Come celebrate with us. Now, the Bible says many of them didn't, but some came and celebrated with him. 
And it describes the Passover. They celebrated. It was a moment of celebration. There was music. There was instruments. There was singing. There was consecration. There was confession. There was repentance. There was worship. There was sacrifices. If you came by the temple in that, in that season, you saw the temple restored to the glory and the splendor, and it was doing what it was intended to do. And Hezekiah was taking that responsibility to secure the presence of God seriously. And it was an amazing thing. It was so exciting that after the seven days of celebration of the Passover, the Bible says that the people were so filled with joy, so overwhelmed with the presence of God, that they decided to stay for another seven days. Nobody wanted to leave. When I grew up as a kid in church, that's what, that's what we would say. Man, revival broke out. They got excited. They didn't want to go home. They didn't want to go back to their normal lives. Like, We've been in the presence of God. This is amazing. And it says they stayed for another seven days. And when they did, and this is what it says about this. This is the description of it. In 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 26, it says this. There was great joy in the city, For Jerusalem had not seen a celebration like this one since the days of Solomon, King David's son. They were overwhelmed. It was an amazing thing. The temple had been restored because Hezekiah took his responsibility to secure the presence of the Lord seriously. And the celebration uh, overflowed for another week of celebration. And when they did leave, in chapter 31, it says they went back to their homes, back to their towns, and they began tearing down the idols that Ahaz had set up. They had tasted the real thing. They had been in the presence of the one true God. And they said, tear those ridiculous, stupid looking poles and idols down because they have no power, no purpose, and no meaning for us because we have been to the temple. We have been in the presence of the almighty God. We have been in the one who makes a difference and there's nothing else comes even close. Hezekiah took his responsibility seriously to secure the land, secure the throne, and secure the presence of God. That's great. Now you have a little Old Testament history of three kings and the difference between a father and his son, between Ahaz and Hezekiah. So what? That's great. None of us in here are the next king of Israel, I don't think. None of us are like, you know, what's that have to do with me here in Cookville 2022? Secure the land, secure the throne, secure the... The temple, what's that have to do with me? Everything. It has everything to do with you. This is the importance of, of reading your Bibles, guys. This is the importance of being a student of God's word. As we understand better the Old Testament and the story of God, it really begins to open up as we begin to read the New Testament. And we begin to see, it really kind of opens eyes. I want to show you something. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning. So, so let's take this Old Testament history of God's people of three kings and the responsibilities to secure the land, secure the throne, secure the presence. What does this have to do with me and you today? As followers of Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning and you would confess and profess to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what's this have to do with us? How do we apply this to our lives? First Corinthians chapter six, two verses at the end of chapter six, verses 19 and 20 says this. The apostle Paul here is writing to the church under the new covenant, Jesus has come, he has gone to the cross, died for our sins, been buried, resurrected, ascended back to heaven. Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you 
by God. See, that sounds familiar, right? We've just, we've just understood the Old Testament, God's people and the temple and what the temple was. We don't, for many of us, a temple, what's, what, is, what even is that? He says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is God, which is the presence of God. That was the purpose of the testament in the Old of the temple in the Old Testament. He says, don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Verse 20, for God bought you with a high price. That was the price, his son, the cross. He said, so you must honor God with your body. So we're beginning to see some connection there. Old Testament to New Testament. Okay, we've, we've studied, the, we've learned about the temple. We get it, the kings, secure the land, secure the throne, secure the, the, the presence, that's the temple. The importance of that, its purpose was to be a place where God was honored, glorified. So now today, under the new covenant, the Bible is saying, you are the temple. You, I am the temple of God. My body is the temple. The Holy Spirit, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in this temple. And therefore, glorify God, honor God with my body. This temple is to be a place where the presence of God is glorified, is honored, is exalted, is worshiped. Secure the presence, the temple. Well, let's, let's chase that a little bit further through New Testament, okay? So we kind of figure this out a little bit more. Go a couple of pages back over into Romans. These are, these are letters, instructions written by the Apostle Paul primarily to the church. Romans chapter six, listen to what he says here, speaking again to the church and this, this idea of our bodies, the temple of the, the Holy Spirit, the temple of God. Romans chapter six, verse 12 says this. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. That sounds like Ahaz, doesn't it? He was controlled by the sinful desires. He was not taking the responsibility to pursue God and to lead the people to worship God seriously. Verse 13, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. That's, that's Ahaz. He was running after false gods, false idols. Instead, verse 13, instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. The whole purpose of the temple in the Old Testament was to bring glory to God, to be a place where God was glorified, honored, worshiped, celebrated. The new covenant in the New Testament, the Bible is saying, now my body is the temple of God and the purpose of my whole body is to bring glory and honor to God, for the glory of God. So what does that look like? How do I, how do, I do that? What does that mean? What do, I, what do I need to wrestle with? What do I need to walk out of here this morning? Where do I even begin? What is that talking about? I think a great answer to this is something that Jesus said, something that, that the gospel points out to us. Uh, and in Luke chapter 10, in Luke chapter 10, uh, we see an instance where a guy comes to Jesus and people come to Jesus and they're, they're asking him some questions and the, and the context here is he's saying, what must I do to have eternal life? In, Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, there's a situation where someone asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Of all the commands, there's 600, 700 commands, laws, regulations. Uh, what's the greatest one? If this is the temple of God, if I'm to steward this as the, as the Old Testament king stewarded the temple, that it was a place where God's presence was, was glorified, honored, what's that look like? So Jesus, this guy says, what must I do? And, and in verse 27, and Jesus looks at the guy and says, well, what does the Old Testament say? 
And the guy answers Jesus in Luke 10, 27. The man answered, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, right, and the next verse says, right, do that. In other words, he was kind of quoting back from the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. So let's kind of, let's kind of chase this. Say, okay, so this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am to bring glory and honor. I'm to superintend as the Old Testament king superintended the temple. I'm to superintend this temple to be a place where God is honored. Jesus says, here's what matters. Here's ultimately what matters. He says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You ever thought about that? I mean, it's very familiar. If you're, if you're a believer, you've been in church, it's a very familiar passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. How do you do that? You ever thought about it? What does it actually look like? Because I believe therein is the key of, 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 of securing this temple as a place where God is honored, God is glorified. What does it look like? Well, let's just kind of break that down for a second. He says, love the Lord God with all your heart. The heart is the very seat of our emotions. It's the heart that is, you know, heart, Valentine's Day. We have a whole holiday in America about the heart. And, and it's, I love you with all my heart. I give my heart to you. You have my heart. And we understand when we're saying that, what that, but we, you know, we're not talking about, honey, I love you with every AFib, every, every beat of this organ deep within the chest cavity of my inner being that pumps blood throughout my body. I love you with all of that. That's gross, right? We know that's not what we're saying, but it's I love you with all my heart. Here, let, think about this. It is with my heart that what I'm saying is I trust you completely. Two people stand before the preacher, before their family and friends. I choose you. I love you. Why do you want to get married? Because I love you with all my heart. I trust you to be my spouse, to be my partner till death do us part. So when we choose to love God with all our heart, it is to come to him and say, God, I, I trust you. I honor you with my heart. With I trust you completely. I trust your decisions for my life. I trust you to bring identity to my life, not in what I do, what I have, what people think about me, but in what you are and give to me. I trust you with everything. I trust you when I don't understand you. I trust you when I don't like you and what you're doing and allowing in my life. I trust you. You know, I was talking to friends the other day, I find comical and kind of funny these days. Uh, you know, with social media, the thing that you see so much on social media, there's this new thing, and some of you have probably done this. I, I, I may have to, I don't even know. But it's the, it's the thing, you know, it's like living my best life. Have you seen that? You know, it's like use the hashtag living my best life. Which is great. I mean, that's what everybody wants to live our best. I want to live my best life, right? I mean, if given the choice of my best life and a crappy one, I would choose my best life. Assuming it's not, you know, bad, right? But here's the thing with that. Have you ever noticed that hashtag, living my best life? It always comes after a wonderful vacation. It always comes after you met those exercise goals. It always comes after you got that promotion, after you bought that new house, after something, after you got married, after something good happened. Nobody ever posts about a very deep, dark, horrifying, difficult circumstance and then said, hashtag living my best life. Right? To love God with all our hearts. It's God, I trust you even when it doesn't feel like my best life. I trust you when the truth you're challenging me with is a truth that I don't actually want to accept. But I trust you. I trust you know what is best for me better than I know for myself. 
I trust you know what is best for my family. For my, I trust you fully. That brings glory and honor to God when his people trust him to that degree. Love God with all your heart. It says, love God with all your mind. The Christian faith is not simply an emotional faith. It is an intellectual faith. Throughout the scripture, we are, we are encouraged to engage our minds, to know God, to press in, to better understand him. God wrote his word, gave us, preserved through his sovereignty throughout the history of time, the word of God. We are to know, we are to understand, we are to apply our minds to know God, to be students of God's word. Have you been reading the word this year with us? Have you been reading through with us? Have you carved out time in your life to read God's word? Have you looked and stopped and said, you know what? I have never really fully understood that prophecy of Isaiah. I think I'm gonna spend a summer just kind of really digging into Isaiah. I'm gonna join that Bible study class because they're studying uh, this book this year. And I would really like to know more about the gospel of Luke, about the gospel of, I wanna know more. I wanna join a Bible study group. I wanna carve out time in my life to know God more. I don't longer wanna sit in church services or, or classes when people talk about the things of God and be sitting there like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I want to know the word of God. We honor God, bring glory to God when we love him with our mind, when we engage our mind to understand the things of God. So many people look around today, it's like, I just don't understand what's happening. I just, it's so confusing. The world's so messed up, it's so crazy. If you know God, if you're a student of the word of God, the times don't always confuse you because you see so much of things we see just playing out. We've already been told about this in scripture. When we see the struggles and the confusion with our society, it's like, man, God speaks about this. This isn't anything new that our generation has come up with. God's wisdom is so ahead of everything. And as we are students of his word and we know God, we see these things and we're able to speak truth into our culture and into these situations because we love God with our minds. We're not just looking for some, some, some emotional high. You wanna really enjoy worship in song? Become a student of God's word because then the words of those songs really begin to impact you more than, music stirs our, 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 our beings. That's just, it's, it's a chemical, it, it happens. But when you begin to engage the music and then the words and they begin to make sense because you're a student of God's word, you begin to understand some of those phrases, some of those phrases that you, maybe you've sung for years and like, I sing it, but I have no idea what that even means. But when you begin to understand it because you're a student of God's word, you're loving God with your mind, it begins to take your worship to a whole new level. Your understanding is expanded. We're to love God with our whole being. That's with our heart. We trust him with our mind. We understand him with our soul. Love God with all your soul. The soul in these contexts refers to the will or the chooser, the decider within me, really the one that's in control of ultimately who I am. This is the, the flesh suit, you know, and I've got all my personalities, but the will, the soul is ultimately who I am. The soul decides what we do. Love God with all your soul is to, is to basically say, I am willing, I am purposefully, intentionally deciding that as for me and my house, me and this temple, we will serve the Lord. It is the will that it describes in Daniel chapter one when Daniel and his friends are taken into captivity and the king wants to train them and so they bring this meat that was offered to idols and Daniel knows as a Hebrew, as a, as a person of God, that is, that is against his law and so he says he purposed in his heart, he determined he would not eat that meat. It's the determination that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they stood before the fiery furnace and the threat of losing their lives, they said, king, listen, 
You can throw us in the furnace. You can throw us in the fire. Our God's able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, let it be known. We have already decided because we worship our God with all our soul. Our will is set. We will not bow down and worship you. My heart is set. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's not open for discussion or debate. I worship God. For Hezekiah, there was no question. The temple will be restored. The temple will be reopened. My responsibility is to secure the land, secure the throne, and to secure the presence. And that means open this temple, dedicate it, set it apart as a place where God will be worshiped. And that's what he did. Love God with all your heart. Trust him with all your mind. Learn, know him with your will. Decide, and then finally with all your strength. That's the simple. Once you've done those three, the strength is, it's just you act on it. Your actions, your life and how you superintend this temple of the spirit of God that lives within you will be known by your your actions, how you love God with all your strength, not simply your intentions. I will it to be, this is what I'm gonna do, then I have to step out and act on it. And that's my actions, how I treat others, how I treat my family, the words that I use, how I engage in social media, how I govern if I'm an employer, a boss, a manager, a leader, how I follow, if, whatever my context may be, how I live my life. That's my loving God with all my strength. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, the apostle Paul write, and he said, he said, whether you eat or whether you drink, the very, the very basic things in life, or whatever you do, mow the lawn, check the mail, Shop on Amazon.com. Go to church, go to work, go to school, go to Walmart, go to the park. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God because you superintend over the temple of the living God, the Holy Spirit that lives within you as the Old Testament kings did. How will you do that? And that's what I just wanna leave you with to ponder for today, for this week. How are you doing How are you doing? How are you superintending? How are you handling the temple of God? The responsibility that's entrusted to you and me as followers of Christ to provide a place where the presence of God is welcomed, is pursued, where he is honored, where he's glorified. How are you doing? Summer of 1990, I was working in a warehouse with a salty bunch of men, a very unholy, ungodly bunch of men. There was no question, in my mind, I was the only Christian in that group. These guys, their language was foul and vile. Their lifestyles were corrupt. They, it was just, and, and I was working with these guys. I was probably about 19, 20 years old. I was working there that summer with these guys. And I never will forget, one Monday morning, we come in that morning and one of the guys comes in. He says, hey, Chapman. He says, how was your weekend? I was like, ah, it's pretty good. He said, what'd you do? And I told him what I did. I said, what'd you do? He said, well, my girlfriend graduated Saturday. I said, really? He said, yeah, she graduated from King College. Now, King College is up in, in Bristol, uh, East Tennessee, Southwest Virginia area. It's a Christian college. It's King University now. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, I had a friend that graduated there last year. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, it was, it was, it was crazy. He said, you know, he said, it's uh, one of those Christian schools. And, and he said, yeah, you know, my girlfriend, she's a good guy. He said, she's one of those Christians too. And uh, he, said, he said, I don't know why she's dating me because I certainly am not a Christian. 
And he looks right at me and he said, dude, I know you're not. And you know what I thought and what I felt? I was offended. I thought, how dare you? How, how dare those, that accusation come out of your heathen lips? How dare you tell me that I'm not a Christian? Now, I'm quite certain you're not, pal, but how dare you say something so vile about me? And I'm trying to figure out how am I gonna to respond to this insult when the Holy Spirit, who did reside in this temple, he wasn't very honored, but that same Holy Spirit whispered in my mind and said, Steve, why would he think any different about you? And you know in the movies when they have that flashback, you ever see Rocky Four? You know, when he has this, usually like set to a Survivor song, this video montage, your, your past just, you know, it wasn't Eye of the Tiger. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was, that was a glorious past. Mine was not. It was just like I saw that, that whole season in the warehouse and I saw my language, my actions, my, and I thought, wow. You know, why would he think anything else about me? I saw how I had been superintending this temple. And it kind of looked like the temple probably looked like under Ahaz's reign. It looked like the joy land today, desolate, barren, empty, pitiful. For all those people at church that I, that I saw on Sundays that heard me, knowing the lingo, amen, sister, you know, yes, praise the Lord, God's good. What if they saw me in the warehouse? You know what they would, they would, th they would look at that and say, that's pitiful. That's a sad, that's a sad testimony to one who is in charge of superintending the temple of the Almighty God. I needed that spiritual punch in the gut to wake me up. I left that job that summer. I came to Tennessee Tech. God invited me to a Bible study and I began hanging out with him and, and other believers and just spending time with God and pursuing God, reading my Bible that I really had never done, going to church faithfully. I wanted to grow because I knew my responsibility was to superintend this temple of the Almighty God. And I think we need to ponder that. I'm not gonna invite you to come forward or do anything. If you need to pray with someone, our prayer room is open after service. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, and you'd like to know more about this whole idea of being the temple of God, we'd love to talk to you. Go to that prayer room. Find one of the staff with the lanyards. They'd love to talk to you about learning more. Fill out the card. Drop it in a box on your way out. Say, I'd like to know more about being a Christian. We'd love for you to do that. If you're a Christian this morning, let me just simply, I'll leave you with that. How are you doing with the temple? that you've been entrusted with, the temple of the Spirit of God that lives within you? Is it a place of honor? Is it a place where the presence of God overflows that others that see you, there's no doubt in their mind. You're not perfect, but there's no doubt in your mind who your love is and where you stand. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for entrusting us with an, with an incredible responsibility of being the temple of your very Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for giving your son to die on the cross so that we could be your temple. We could house the very spirit of your presence, God. Thank you for that gift. Lord, some of us in this room needed a good spiritual punch in the gut this morning. Some of us need a little nudge and say, hey, 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 how's this going? Don't forget your responsibility. Don't forget this is what you called to do. Remind us afresh and anew, God, that it's, it's when we do this and we take this serious, God, that your, your presence fills up our lives and our circumstances begin to fade because, God, we are filled with your presence and your spirit. God, we begin trusting you and loving you with our heart, with our mind, with our soul, with our strength, and you change our lives. God, I just trust you to do what only you can do through your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning, to meet us where we are, to do what you need to do in our lives today. And I pray that we will listen and take it serious. What an honor you've entrusted us. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you for the reminder of how important it is and the difference that it makes. We pray this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, thanks so much for checking us out online today. If you want more information about the church or things that's going on here, be sure to check out theriverCC.com or download our app and visit us there. Also, as we go through the Bible this year, we want to help keep you engaged on what's being read and talked about each week. To do that, we have a podcast called The Word This Week, which will recap each week's readings, as well as have special guests who will talk about what God showed them that week. So be sure to check that out on all podcast streaming platforms. And again, thanks so much for checking us out online.